Hello, I'm Brooke Johnson. Welcome to my father's podcast. For this week's message, or any of the messages in our archive, subscribe for free on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Bethel Christian Fellowship is a church that relies on the support of its community. We consider you a part of that community, and we would love for you to participate in our financial life. You can do that at our website at drcraigjohnson.org. Whether you're new to this space or a regular pod listener, we're glad you're here. We believe that this message will bring you hope, encouragement, and guidance. God bless you. Good morning, saints. Could we put our hands together and greet our streaming family? Welcome. Welcome all, one and all. God bless you. What a privilege to be here hosting you today. And oh, we've got a marvelous message today. My assignment this morning is discussing fulfillment by reversal. Last week, we celebrated the glorious catastrophe of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, from among the dead. And we found out that that reality was the fulfillment of the dream in God's heart from all eternity. Well, I want to continue that concept this morning, and I want to talk about one of the most delicious concepts conceivable that of fulfillment. Listen to one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Isn't that wonderful? Hope deferred, when promises are put off, when hopes don't happen over time, we become weak. Our blood is removed from our body. It seems like our soul can even dissipate from our body. But one moment of fulfillment, one moment of desire realized, the Bible says, is a tree of life. Job 14.6 says, even a tree cut down, yet at the scent of water, it shall arise and respond. I want to speak a scent of water to you today. I want to talk about fulfillment today over your life over perhaps some of the deepest promises you may have forgotten. Did you know the Lord is in the business of helping us remember at the right time what we need to remember? Do you know he mercifully gives oblivion to us sometimes and he allows you to forget certain things? But at the right time, he will cause you to remember. But he usually is gracious enough that he'll put you in a season of hibernation. Remember animals, when they don't have the right food, enough, um, enough food, it isn't their season, they go into hibernation. It's neither sleep nor death. It's just somewhere in there. And sometimes, and sometimes, God puts us in hibernation in a strange sense, a strange place of limbo where we're doing our nine to five and we're going through life, but we're a little bit disassociated, not fully in the now, not fully living in the moment because he needs to blind our eyes for a season until fulfillment can come. Do you remember Song of Solomon? Stir not up my love, lest you please. It's a beautiful verse about the fact that often we don't want to get all hyped up and expectant when the season is not there to produce a payoff. But I want to talk today about fulfillment by reversal. Hope deferred does make the heart sick, but there is something about fulfillment that equals a tree of life. Now, did you know, beloved, as we're in this season of springtime, we're in this season of resurrection, we see this theme of death, burial, and resurrection all throughout the scriptures. It's everywhere. And once we look through the lens of death, burial, and resurrection, you'll see it everywhere. What about exile? Ezekiel saw the vision of dry bones spring to life. In Ezekiel 37, 7 through 10, he saw in a vision that the children of Israel went into Babylonian captivity, which was a death for them. But then he foretold that they would return again as dead, dry bones were brought together in sinew and flesh and life and organs. And he, he gives them the imagery of Babylon death, return home, resurrection. Even in the exile of the people of God leaving their land, they would go through a death season only to be brought back through a symbol of resurrection. And you know all throughout the scriptures, Noah and his family are delivered from the flood. Hmm? 
They get in a boat and the world that then was is destroyed and they are riding upon the waters of destruction. And then all of a sudden, what? The ark is delivered from the waters of death and newness of life opens and a whole new world bursts before them. They go from death to life. Do you remember Joseph? He goes into the pit. And the scripture says that he is raised as from the pit of death and he's resurrected out of that pit. Death, resurrection, death, resurrection. Remember the children of Israel there in Egypt for 430 years, that type of death. And then God brings them straight out of death through the Red Sea in a type of from death to resurrection. It's all over the Bible. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shake the bed, make the bed, and to bed we go. Remember the three Hebrew children? They go into the fires of death, and they are resurrected out of the fire, and all their bonds are removed, and they don't even smell of smoke. Death and resurrection. It's all over. Daniel is in the death of the lion's den, and God sovereignly shuts the lion's mouth, and the king himself takes him from death, and he raises him from the dead. You see this imagery of death and burial, and it happens all over the Bible. And when the Lord Jesus Christ is walking on the road to Emmaus, he says in Luke 24, 26, and 27, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, in all the scriptures concerning himself. Isn't it interesting? That theme of death and resurrection is the theme of all of scripture. And look at it with regard to barrenness. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? What's something they all had in common? Their wives were barren. A barren woman meant death to the family line. In fact, there would be no family line unless God reversed the death of barrenness and brought fruitfulness. And what does he do with Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel? He comes to the death of their dead wombs and he breathes life through resurrection power. And lo and behold, they have their children and the line lives and the Messiah himself comes through the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and David in Bethlehem. In due course, the promised seed of the woman comes only through death. You see, Christ was the product of a nation of barren wombs. Do you see it? It's everywhere. Whether the imagery of exile, the imagery of barrenness, or just the normal imagery of peril, all through Scripture we see fulfillment through reversal, and it always has to do with life from death. Has God ever entered your life and raised something from the dead? I think you better be extra aware the next little while because he's going to look in the rearview mirror a lot because he's going to be chasing you down with fulfillments that you've long forgotten. Now, I gave a handout today. You can go online. You get a master's degree if you do a paper on this. But what I did is I list, listed over and over images of the fulfillment of resurrection from the dead. With regard, with regard to the Lord Jesus. And I go through and I give you a bunch of examples. And you can read them on your own. But there's the glorious imagery, the corporate images of the Messiah rising from the dead. And we look at Abraham and Isaac, and there the only begotten son is lifted to the place of sacrifice, but supernaturally is raised off that altar in a simile raised from the dead. Aaron's rod that budded, a beautiful symbol when Aaron, the high priest, there was a confusion in the community about who was who. And so Moses had all 12 staffs of all the 12 major leaders, and they were put in the tabernacle overnight. And we're going to find out who the true high priest is that God had called. And it said, Aaron's all dead rods, dead sticks gathered together in God's house. Sounds like a normal church service. <laughs> oh, and the next morning, the Bible says that Aaron's rod, the stick of death, budded with almonds, the symbol of resurrection. And in the Ark of the Covenant itself, it contained the bowl of manna, the provision, Christ, the bread of heaven, the unbroken Ten Commandments, and the rod of Aaron that budded, all symbols of life and resurrection and Christ 
in the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of death from life. It's all over the place. I give you a bunch of examples, but I'm going to focus on one particular odd fulfillment. Hear me. Here's the voice of prophecy today. <clears throat> the Lord is about to bring about fulfillments in the world and in the church and in your life of things long forgotten. Beloved, there are things so deep so long forgotten promises that cannot even be brought to memory unless they come in their times of fulfillment they're too painful stir not up my love lest you please but I want to encourage you. It's been a long time. It's sometimes a long wait. But every promise of God comes with an inbuilt performance in its season. In the handout, I give you multiple examples of the resurrection of Jesus Christ throughout the scriptures, but I want to focus on one today. I want to focus on a, one particular fulfillment because it represents a for long forgotten fulfillment. And as I move along, you'll know what I'm saying. Hold on for the next few minutes because there are so many converging points of this message today. This could very well give you life. In Matthew chapter 8, Verses 1 through 4, it says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said, See that you do not tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ started his ministry with undeniable signs and messianic miracles? John the Baptist is arrested. He's in prison and he sends to Jesus and says, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? And Jesus's response in Mar Matthew 11, 2 and 6 is when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. He sent his disciples and said, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight. Notice that. The lame walk. Notice that. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. Notice that. The deaf hear and the dead are raised. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Beloved. The ministry of Jesus began, the, his ministry of fulfillment, the kingdom of heaven is now fulfilled, begins with undeniable signs and wonders that had never happened in the history of Israel in a sustained manner. Now, leprosy was mentioned in the Bible. King Uzziah had it. Remember, Miriam, the sister of Moses, had it. Naaman the Syrian had it. Moses, when he was shown miracles, put his hand in his outfit, pulled it out, it was leprous, put it back in, it was healed. Lovely magic trick. God's trying to encourage him. I'll, I'm going, when I bring you in front of Pharaoh, I'm going to let you do some really doozies. So let's do a few here. So leprosy is mentioned in the Bible and it's healed. But did you know there was an entire chapter of the Bible, Leviticus chapter 14, that was set aside to teach what was called the law of the leper. 
Leprosy was the sign of an unhealable condition. Leprosy started silently. It spread painlessly and over time defiled everything about who you were. It disheveled you into a human ruin that stunk. Leprosy was the untouchable plague of the culture. Beloved, I don't know what you consider the untouchable plague of your culture right now. That which is irredeemable. But did you know that God has an answer? God has a fulfillment even for the irredeemable thing. The, the, the whatever it would be that you would say, well, I can't touch them. They stink. They're foul. They're, they're decrepit. Lepers were utterly isolated in life. They could not experience the warmth of human touch. They, they, they were not allowed to be with their mates. They could not touch their children. They were exiled outside, marginalized from all life, and they were put outside the camp. Leprosy was the unhealable issue in the culture that defiled everyone. If they touched a wall, they defiled a wall. If they sat on a stool, they defiled the stool. If they wore a garment, they defiled the garment. The rabbis said they wouldn't even need an egg from the open market if a leper had walked down the street. Leprosy was the epitome of defilement, and Leviticus chapter 14 gave a wonderful Bible lesson at theology school on what to do when a leper is healed. The only problem is, hear me, here's my thunder. Until the ministry of Jesus, for 1,500 years, Leviticus chapter 14 had never been fulfilled or you didn't have to use it. You can read the chapters, about 33 verses. And we're going to go over just a gist of a few of the steps involved in the cleansing of the leper. But what I want you to see is that God had a book of the Bible written, Leviticus chapter 14, knowing that for 1,500 years, none of the priests ever had to do anything written in that chapter. And all the seminarians said, thank God. I wrote a paper on that. No one's ever going to cross-reference it and check the footnotes. I want you to see something you may never have seen. You're watching The Chosen. You're watching Jesus of Nazareth. Keep watching. But I want you to notice something. In our Christian culture, we've heard the Bible stories of the New Testament so frequently we forget. Healing a man born blind, that was new. That wasn't, you know, yeah, yeah, third one I heard about this week. No, 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 no. John chapter 9, Christ healing a man born. When has this been heard of ever happening from the foundation of the world? The, the miraculous of Jesus forced the unbelief of his age to make a choice. And we are coming into a time where Jesus is going to bring such deep, rich fulfillments that no one is going to be able to deny his power. You can reject him. Yep. You can be a volitional doubter. You can, in the presence of resurrection, say, well, it's an anomaly. Maybe E.T. will come someday and explain how that happened. You can do that if you want. But you're going to have chosen your lane and category, and we're not going to have to deal with you, but then everyone else who's hungry, thirsty, asking, seeking, and knocking is going to have more than enough knockdown, drag-out signs and wonders. As Pascal said, there's enough evidence to convince anyone not set against it. To be a leper in the culture of Jesus was to be hopeless and helpless. Now catch this. Jesus wants to have his ministry calling card delivered to the temple of Herod. That there's a new sheriff in town and he happens to be the Messiah of Israel. So what does he start doing? He starts healing lepers. What? Yeah, we believe in signs and wonders. We're Bible people. No, 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 no. For 1,500 years, Leviticus chapter 14 has never been put in place. And all of a sudden, like hotcakes, lepers are popping up all over the landscape, and they're all showing up at Herod's temple knocking on the door. 
and the priests are answering and they're saying, hi, um, I was a leper and this guy, Jesus, just healed me. So I've, I've, he told us to come and present ourselves to you so that you could do what Leviticus 14 tells you to do. And all the priests went, honey, get my theology books out of the attic. Leviticus 14, what the heck? Well, here, let's act like we know what's going on. It's called the law of the leper. First of all, the priest would go out to the leper. Now, notice the priest had no ability to heal a leper. No one could heal a leper except God. All the priests could do is go and verify they were clean and let them back in the community, but they couldn't heal them. They had all the power of a mother-in-law's kiss. <laughs> Just like you. Only God could heal a leper, but, but Leviticus 14, the whole chapter, chapters 13 and 14, read them when you get home. And you'll fall asleep midway through. But imagine being a priest, and this is your expertise, and you've never in your life, for, and for 1,500 years, your ancestors have never had an opportunity to do what we're about to study in Leviticus 14. Boy, you better show up and act like you know what you're doing. First, the priest would go out to the leper, Leviticus 14, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Moses, these are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing. When they are brought to the priest, the priest is to go outside the camp and examine them if they have been healed of their defiling skin disease. Notice the priest would go outside the camp and investigate and determine if a leper had been healed. So Christ, our high priest, left heaven to come out to where we were, oh, beloved. And look at the victim was to take two birds, Leviticus 14, 4 through 7. Birds don't belong in clay jars. They belong in the heavens. And Jesus came down from heaven and he became a man and he put himself into a clay jar so that he might die for our sins. Listen to Leviticus 4, 14, 4 through 7. The priest shall order that the two live clean birds, most of the rabbis say sparrows, and some cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop be brought forth for the person to be cleansed. Then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over fresh water in a clay pot. He is then to take the live bird and dip it together with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease and then pronounce them clean. After that, he is to release the live bird into the open field. Oh, beloved, listen to this. Listen to this. In a ceremony that no one will do for, 14, for 1,500 years, the leper comes and says, I'm healed. The priest comes out to where he is. And he makes an interesting little contraption. It's called an aspergellum. It's a cedar handle on which you attach hyssop. And you take two birds, two sparrows. The one bird, now you've got two birds in the cage. You have the aspergillum, which is a little, it's a sprinkling mechanism. It's made of hyssop. And you take just a little, you take one of the living birds and you tie him down with scarlet. And so the bird, Mike has a picture of it here that he can set up for you. That's the aspergillum. It's the little handle. It's like a little pot holder. And then you have the little bird that's alive, right? He doesn't look too comfortable. And he's tied to this thing with a scarlet implement, a fillet. And then they take a earthenware vessel and they take one of the birds that is the sacrifice and they put him in the earthen vessel. Gee, I wonder if that image is clear at all. Did anyone ever descend from heaven into a clay earthen vessel in order to be sacrificed and his blood shed? Hmm. Birds belong in the air. They soar. They're not earthbound creatures. It's only natural for them to soar freely but one is taken and brought down to the earthenware condition and he is killed in this earthenware vessel over clear, living, flowing water. 
and then the priest takes the aspergillum. He takes the little hyssop wand with the living bird, and he dips the living bird's tails thoroughly in the blood and the water. And he sprinkles the leper seven times. And then he releases the bird, the symbol of resurrection, to soar over the fields, free, forever free. Hmm. Footnote. Very interesting. Listen to the scriptures. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. The one who comes from above is beyond all, and the one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. John 6, 38, 42, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Loved one, look at the holy trio, cedar, hyssop, scarlet yarn. And after seven douses of this blood, this sacrificial blood from this bird, then the leper had to cleanse himself. The Bible says he washed himself and his garments. He shaved off all of his hair. And then he was permitted to come into the camp. Lepers were put all the way out. You had no access to the community. You were way outside the camp. Maybe you're one of those marginalized folk that they consider way outside the camp. Don't let Gretchen in here. Why, they'll let anyone in here nowadays. Lepers couldn't even come near. They were not in the city in the tents. They were outside the camp, and they were way outside the camp. So here, there is this process of cleansing, of unhealable leprosy that involved two birds. All these images of redemption, hyssop and cedar and that in the minds of the people of God are rich with redemptive significance. Crimson colors, death, burial, resurrection, and now cleansing. They've got to wash their clothes. They've got to shave off all their hair, everything, because there's a complete cleansing of their former identity. But even then, they're only allowed to come into the outer camp area. They can't come back to their tents. They have to wait another seven days. Seven days after they shaved off their hair and they washed their garments, they were permitted to enter the camp. But look at what happens on the eighth day. Again, they have to cleanse themselves. The man washes and shaves his body again, puts on clean clothes. He's now a brand new person ready to enter into the community. And look at this. On the eighth day, the required sacrifices occur. Now, these sacrifices are fascinating. You've heard me mention it before. All the five Levitical sacrifices speak of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It took five sacrifices to tell out on a flannel board all the significance of what our Messiah's sacrifice would equal. There was the sin offering. This was the offering you gave because you are a sinner, not because you sin, because you are by nature a sinner. There were trespass offerings that dealt specifically with the individual sins you commit as a sinner, right? Then they had a burnt offering, which was symbol, uh, symbolic of you offering your whole self to God. When you gave a burnt offering, it was a voluntary offering saying, all that I am is yours, all that I have is yours, have your way. And then there was an offering called a meal offering, which was a bloodless offering that had to do with offering one's gifts, after you offer the burnt offering your whole life, then you give your meal offering, your gifts to the Lord. And as we look at the burnt offering and the sin offering and the trespass offering and the meal offering, we just see combinations of these different uh, sacrificial offerings throughout the Bible. But from the view of Scripture, we see that Christ on the cross, our beloved Savior, is the fulfillment of every, I mean, he is the sin offering because of our fallen nature and what we are. He is going to pay for every individual trespass that we've ever committed as sinners. He is the one offering himself wholeheartedly over and with all of his gifts and all of his abilities, beloved. And then finally, there's the peace offering. When peace is wrought, then we all feast together with the peace offering. These five Levitical offerings are all in play dealing with the cleansing of the leper. 
And on the eighth day, they offer these this interesting sin offering and trespass offering. And I want you to notice what the priest does with the leper. Now, this is formerly someone who you couldn't talk to, you couldn't look at, you couldn't touch. They'd never known the touch of love forever. Can you imagine exile and isolation? Some of you have not been meaningfully touched in ages. You don't even know what that is. Well, God's going to restore it to you. You only need to be loved well once in your life to heal every wound. On the eighth day, the priest would take the blood of the trespass offering and he would put blood on the right ear lobe of the leper, blood on the right thumb of the leper, and redemptive blood on the right big toe, symbolizing that from now on, all that he does with his hands for God is sanctified. Everywhere he walks for God is sanctified. Everything he hears is sanctified. And then he would take the oil, the crushed oil, and he would put the oil on the blood on the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right big toe. If you remember in the book of Leviticus, this is the ceremony that Aaron and his priestly sons went through to be called to the intimate priesthood of God. The leper who is formerly outcast and helpless is to be now brought in and anointed as a priest of the Most High God to hear his very voice, to do all of his works, and to walk everywhere he walks in sacred precincts of intimacy with God and his people. The leper is not only allowed back, he's brought back as a priest in the deepest courts of intimacy. <sighs> Jesus heals a leper that had never been done. He's healing batches of them, and he's saying, don't tell anybody. Isn't that sort of counterproductive? How do you tell a crippled man that can run around the block, don't tell anybody? What he's saying is, I want you to do something better than just blazing abroad the matter and getting me more crowds, because the more crowds you get, the more idiot people you get, and the more idiot people you get, the more headaches you get, and Jesus already had trouble. He didn't want butts in the seats. He wanted to count by ones on his own. And this leper is so excited, he goes out and tells everybody, and now the crowds are oppressive, which he doesn't want crowds anyway, because every time he gets a crowd, he offends a crowd. He's got the wrong kind of publicity following him around. It's going to hair lip what he's doing. But most importantly, Jesus wanted all the lepers to go to Herod's temple and knock on the priest's chamber door and say, hey, you got another leper here, and they're going, what's going on? It's an epidemic of lepers being healed. And then one know-it-all priest would say, yeah, but I've been reading Leviticus 14 since Jesus came into town. What's Leviticus 14? Let me tell you, I've had done this 10 times this week. Done what? This exhaustive ceremony, having to go out, having to examine them having to take the two birds, the death, then the symbol of resurrection, life out of death, and then we sprinkle them seven times, and they shave their bodies, and they wash in clean water, and then another seven days they shave their eyebrows off, and everything. This is an exhaustive ceremony. It takes a lot of time. This is putting in a lot of hours the priests are not used to. They're going out to the banquets. Now they're in the temple. Why are you guys working 24 hours a day? Because Jesus is in town bringing reversals and fulfillments that we haven't seen in promises given 1,500 years ago. And how was your week? <laughs> You're just going, oh, you know what I've been doing? I've been killing sparrows. Sparrows, sparrows, earthenware vessels, clean water. Where are you going to get all this set up? Well, they had to figure it out quick. Hear me. He's about to bring fulfillments that are going to astound the world because they have never been done. God's going to do things that have never been done before and legs are going to grow on it. Yeah, 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 I'm better than that. He is going to bring fulfillments that will confirm people in their nastiness. If you're a volitional doubter and your heart is hardened and 
if someone lights a match and that's too much light for you, how's the noonday sun going to help you? Well, if I just saw the noonday sun, yeah, you were blinded by a match and you're, the, the sun is going to help you? No. What he's about to do are irrefutable, undeniable, leper category, born blind category stuff. And you know what? You can be like John the Baptist and still sit back and be, well, I'm cynical and I'm skeptical and I don't know. And is this of God? And is it the devil? Do you love it when a revival breaks out and the whole body of Christ says, it's of the devil? I mean, first instinct, they just woke up. It's of the devil. Remember? Guilty. Now find the charge. Guilty. It's what Grant always says. He goes, guilty. What are the charges? Aren't you sick of that? Well, it's okay. Volitional doubters like these priests that... Now, but listen to me. There's an interesting verse in Acts 6, verse 7. Listen. Ready? Put this... This is your tattoo. Acts 6, verse 7. It says, And there was a multitude added to the church of which many of the priests believed. Hold on, hold on, hold on. There's thousands coming into the faith, yeah. But the majority of the folk in the temple are priests. The very priests that had to be engaged in this Leviticus 14 bit of lepers coming in epidemically and being healed. Took a lot of priests. We know in one fell swoop, 10 lepers were healed. One came back to thank him, but the nine others left to show themselves to the priest. That was nine a day that went there. Then this guy in Matthew 8, he was sent, and he went in. There's, there's, there's 10 right there, and he's doing this all over the landscape. These priests began to realize that the blood of bulls and goats could never remove sin. It's exhausting work to be a priest in Herod's temple. And I believe that they began to see the miracle of the cleansing of the lepers and they began to participate in this and they began to have hearts that were warmed. Did you know God's calling people even now whose hearts are being strangely warmed to himself? Priests, people who are working at the intimate levels, the most intimate level of places and groups you don't like, movements you don't like, people you don't like, don't worry. God's always got his quota of priests on the other side. They're going to flip over. And when they flip, they flip thousands of them. And I believe it's because they were seeing the healing of the leper because fulfillment through reversal was so profound in the ministry of Jesus that all of a sudden the floods broke and all the priests came out. I'd like to come to the altar and accept Messiah's blood, they said. I see that what I've been doing nonstop is not fitting the ticket. And they were weary in well-doing. And they flooded to the altars. Priests. Acts 6-7. Look it up. It's one of those little mentions in the Bible. It's just like, oh, that's nice. No, no, no. That's profound. The priests represented the most elite class of theological understanding. They got it all. They were educated beyond their intelligence. In all matters, especially where they're the most ignorant, Leviticus 14. I did my PhD dissertation on Leviticus 14. Oh, really? Ever seen it in place? Never. But it was a rare idea, and that's what we want in our PhD dissertations. The slightest move of the tsetse fling of the rare tsetse bird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doctor. Beloved, fulfillments are coming. They're on the way. And they will shatter every glass ceiling you've ever thought, thought you would see. They will confirm the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. You're going to see the ice melting and the clay hardening. But it's going to polarize everything. And you think things are polarized now? Cheer up, saints. It's getting worse. <laughs> but the sweetness, fulfillment, desire realized is sweet to the soul it's a tree of life hopes deferred make the heart sick oh honey has your heart been sick 
you just keep showing up and you just keep hoping for something and just everything seems to go on as it's gone on. I've got good news. Fulfillment through reversal is coming. And you'll be able to say, I heard Pastor Craig, this is just fulfillment through reversal. Duh. You've got to watch Bethel. Fresh bread. Fulfillment so deep that you've forgotten about the promise because you had to forget it would have been torturous to remember that promise all your life. You know, I always say there's one word in heaven. Oh! And there's one word we're going to get used to right now as our light bulb moments start going off. Go, oh! Oh! Well, I didn't think that was going to happen. Well, think again. Why can't God do something wonderful for you? Why can't God blow your mind? Why can't God flip your switch? Why can't God blow your skirt up? Why can't God knows exactly what you're created for? He knows exactly the light bulb that you're to be screwed into a lamp and then be connected. He, you didn't determine all your gifts. You've discovered them. He determined them. But sometimes he leaves it a little bit in limbo because he knows he doesn't want to stir up your love unless he's going to please. So in mercy, he hides some fulfillments. But don't worry. The hallmark of Jesus' entire ministry was like popcorn. All these crazy fulfillments were happening. We're not talking about, I think my, I think my toe feels a little better. We're talking about lepers, skin falling off, rancid breath, dying, bones disintegrating, going back, completely healed to the priest's place. How you doing? Hey, I'm a leper. What? Isn't it good to see the professionals scramble a little bit, see the theologians try to answer that Bible question they hadn't thought of? You know, I used to do religion on the line with Dennis Prager for 10 years, and the thing about it is you're doing three hours live, and anyone can call in live and ask any question, and you have no way of prepping for it. You had to be two kinds of people on the radio, the quick and the dead. You're quick or you're dead. <laughs> and what a place to cut your theological teeth because you got a second before that question comes in to respond. And God, I always like to tell the story, always let me know for 10 years what the episode was going to be about. Told me every time, every week I was on. They don't know that, but I'll tell you that. But I already, I went in with front-loaded, memorized information, and I sounded like the smartest guy in the world. Because I already knew the topic. And Dennis never told anyone the topic. Because you'd go in and he'd say, today on Religion Line, UFOs in the Bible. You know, it's just like, what the heck are you going to do with that, right? And he loved to just keep, you know, everybody off. Play. But I knew every time when I went in what the topic was. I'm not super holy. I'm just dumb enough. He asked to let me know. So I don't look like <laughs> the idiot that I actually am. But, you know, it sure goes a better, it's a better night when you know what's going on and nobody else does. When you have the helicopter perspective and Dennis didn't even know what he was going to ask and I knew because God knew. That'll give you a little edge. So as soon as this, the show started, I already had all my answers written before me on a piece of paper. So I would, even the questions that were coming in, I already had answers for those. So as the questions came in, I was the guy speaking first. The rhetorician, but the man that had content as well. Loved one, why can't God use you like that? Why can't he begin to show you a glimpse of the fulfillments that are on the horizon so that when they happen, you say, oh, absolutely, I was expecting that. Yes, in fact, this is that. Peter had that phrase when the day of Pentecost occurred. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. You don't want to be standing there going, I don't know what this is. Revival? An enlightenment? No, no. You can be there and go, this is that which was spoken by Isaiah. This is that which was spoken by Joel. This is that. You can be confident that long-deferred fulfillments are now happening. And you know when you meet individuals, you see them sobbing when this starts happening because they can't believe God is exceeding abundantly above and beyond all they could ask. So my prayer for you right now, beloved, 
get your heart ready wherever you are. I don't care what your life looks like. I don't care if you're in a pig slough right now. I don't care where you were last night. I don't care anything about your faith level. Jesus Christ is saying, I'm about to bring rare fulfillments through reversal, just like I did when I reversed death and rose from the dead. And I'm going to bring priests into the ministry that no one would ever believe. Right now, they're priests of unbelief, but they're about to come into the kingdom under your watch. Watch who you judge because God's going to reach everybody and he's going to save everybody you don't want him to save. Everyone you want him to kill, he's going to save. Oh, no. Perhaps we should examine that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next time you turn on the media and go, Lord, strike him down. God goes, wait a minute now, wait a minute now. That's going to be your pastor in the future. Pray for him. Pray for her. Holy One, I pray that you would confirm these words today with signs following. Holy Spirit of God, bring long-deferred hopes to fulfillment. Bring a tree of life in place of exhaustion. Bring a tree of life in place of perpetual hoping and hoping and hoping against hope. Lord, do something that you haven't done in 1,500 years. Lord, bring whole chapters in the Bible you wrote 1,500 years ago that no one's seen a practical application of. Bring it now. You are a God of infinite surprise. You can make a pro blush. You can do things that we could never think of or dream of or hope for. And we ask you to do it here in our hearts, in our little church, in this platform, Lord. Bring fulfillments exceeding abundantly above and beyond all we could ever ask or think according to your spirit. And make us an eternally hopeful people, Lord, spiritually and physically and emotionally and financially. Make us the burning and shining hope torches in our generation. That people will look at us and say, what have they got? What have they got? What is it about them? It's that we are torches of fulfillment through reversal. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. May God bless you as David brings the table of the Lord. What a perfect exclamation point to this message. For our beloved elder David, he's back. What a joy to have him in our midst. Go ahead and get your little cup, your bread, whatever you have there in elemental form. Hello, David. Look at you out. What a joy. Good morning. Welcome, everybody. You are the beloved of the Lord. Amen. Yes. It was about a week after Jesus rose from the dead. The disciples were... Uh, locked up in an upper room, probably out of fear. Had a lot of enemies coming against them. They had the Jewish rulers. They had the Pharisees. They had the Romans. You know, today we have the forces of evil as our enemy. And they're always trying to put fear in your heart. And I just, as we lift up the bread, I want you to think about what Pastor Craig mentioned about the leper. You may have a question in your mind. Lord Jesus, do you want to heal me? Just remind yourself of what Jesus says in Scripture because he's saying it to you right now. I am willing. Be cleansed. Let's take the bread. Let's break it because he paid the price for your healing. Let's partake. After the disciples saw Jesus, he said, Peace be to you. In the Gospel of John, he says it twice. Peace be to you. And he showed him his hands and his feet. He wanted to, to prove to them so that they know their sins were forgiven. That they have peace with the Father forever because of his sacrifice and that victorious resurrection. As we take the cup, receive that in your heart today. Be at peace. All your sins are forgiven.
You are accepted forever by God, your Father. Let's celebrate together. What a glorious Easter time. A time of thanksgiving. A time of freedom, just like that little sparrow that Pastor Craig talked about. You are now that sparrow flying free because Jesus has released you. Woo! Amen. I'm ready. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Isn't it wonderful to know him? Isn't it wonderful to be loved by him? As David said, you're his beloved. You're not what you have. That's not your value. Because what if you don't have it anymore in 10 years? You're not what you can do. That's not your value. What if you can't do it anymore? You're not what other people say about you. You are the beloved of the Lord on whom his favor rests. You are the one he has chosen from the foundation of the world and sacrificed himself for and rose again from the dead to bless, redeem, and utterly wrap in his love. He doesn't just love you. He's in love with you. I know it's hard to believe, but that's the truth. Get used to it. Get it from your head to your heart. He is in love with you. He cannot break his gaze because you are so beautiful. One look of your eye ravishes his heart. He says, my beloved is this army with banners. She's just, <sighs> that's what he thinks when he looks at you. Isn't that a little narcissistic? No, well, it's when you look at yourself as an end in and of yourself, that's why it's narcissism. When the creator of the universe says, you're my beloved on whom my favor rests. Just say, I surrender. Like the rays to the sun when you're sunbathing, just receive it. Just receive it. It's just true. Beloved. Oh, if you knew where that loved, if you knew he was so crazy about you, it would change things a bit, a bit. Bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift his countenance unto you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, watch for fulfillments through reversals. Love you. We hope today's message has been a blessing to you. And if it has, please visit our website at drcraigjohnson.org. There you can find additional messages of encouragement. And if our ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider us in your ministry giving, as we depend solely on the financial assistance of our listeners like yourself. Also, please feel free to send any personal prayer requests. You can find us online at drcraigjohnson.org. God bless you.